0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, Enderf. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share the experience of James from enderf.org. And James says, I was having a hard time in life. I had dreamed of going to Queen's University in Belfast to study computers. I got a letter from them telling me that I had failed to achieve entry as I didn't meet their requirements. I was so mad at that. I ran to my room and locked myself inside, not, getting, or not letting my mother nor father uh, inside, not, not letting them get in. I was crying beyond control when suddenly there was this beautiful light forming in front of me. It went from color to color, and inside this light, I could make out the shadow of a being. Suddenly, I found myself standing next to this light. I looked back, and my body was lying on the bed, crying still. I thought, Wow, what the heck? Suddenly, from within this being... A huge tunnel had opened up, and it was beautiful beyond words. I cannot tell you what I felt. The feeling of love and peace that I achieved while I was passing through this was amazing. I felt myself engulfed in the passion of love that seemed to flow from every corner of this tunnel and from this being. We reached what I can only call the white room, this room didn't seem to have any ending to it. It was filled with book after book. Big red books. Before us appeared a table, and on the table was one of those books. The person beside me started to speak, and it was like music in, to my mind. The being never once spoke using his mind, only putting his words into my head. Cool, I thought. The thought I got was that he was going to tell me my life and what lay ahead of me. He opened the book. It was not a normal book. The thing showed me television pictures of my life, from birth to present day, much of what I, much of which I had forgotten. The being looked at me with so much love, I felt like I wanted to cry. A thought came to my mind telling me that we were all interconnected. We are all as one, part of the one great big plan. We are all linked spiritually. Wow, I thought. Then he told me that I had to go back because there was people who needed me. He told me to wait for little pebbles That he had given her to me before we walked this earth, that we were placed on this earth on the same day. He told me that she was my soulmate and would be along soon. He also told me to wait a few days and I would receive a letter in the post from the people that had made me hurt so much. Suddenly I found myself back inside the tunnel. I didn't want to go, I felt so safe. There was no form of time there, just pure love. Twelve days after this experience, I got a letter from Queens telling me they had made a mistake and that they would be privileged to have me as a student. Then, three days into university, I meet a girl. Guess what? She told me her mother had always called her pebbles right to this very day. She had told me her mother always said that God had given her that nickname so that the right person could identify her. Wow, I felt so lucky and blessed. That's the end of James's experience. And while it's a short one, I think it's a very telling one. There's so many things here. So first off, this was not an example of death, okay? It, uh, uh, James was not dying, he was just distraught. He'd he been rejected from the school he'd always dreamed of going to. And he was just on his bed crying. And then, interesting, he finds himself out of his body. Well, first he sees this light. And this light you know, is forming in front of him. And it turned, changed colors from co- one color to another color inside the light. And he can make out the shadow of a being. So there's a person in there, apparently. And he finds himself standing next to this light. And he looks back and sees his body. And his body, this is interesting, is still crying on the bed. And of course, he's like, what the heck? You know? But this is a, an interesting little tidbit here. And a data point, because there are only a few experiences that I've read, and yet I have read a few, where the body is continuing without the spirit in it. And we know that the spirit's not in it because the spirit, the person, is separated from their body. They're standing next to their body, and they're looking back and seeing their body do whatever it is that it's doing. And in this case, his body is crying on the bed, I've heard of one where, uh, where the person was getting trampled by a horse and, uh, and she, before even the, the, she's getting trampled. She's just like, she, the horse like rears up and she realizes it's going to come down on her and she's instantly out of the body at that moment. She doesn't feel the pain, but she's standing there next to her body and seeing her body um, screaming and cover its head and, and, you know, shouting help, ah," you know, and so forth. And so her body is going on without her in it, which is so bizarre and interesting to me because I consider death as the moment that the spirit leaves the body. And yet this kind of breaks that down a little bit because here, this, um, This person has well, and and I mean that still brings on the question too, is is death necessary in order for the spirit to leave the body? And from many instances, that doesn't seem to be the case. uh, Such as this one, the body is continuing without the spirit. And if anybody were to look in on the room um, and come and try to comfort his body, I'm curious whether he would zoom back into his body or whether he would just continue crying or maybe it would speak. I don't know. And I have even heard of people, um, looking back at their body and seeing it talking to people. I don't know if it's in a coherent manner. I don't know if it's in any kind of, uh, you know, what, what exactly, but is, is going on there. But, uh, Remember, too, the example of, I think it was Kim Rives, who is at her sister's house and is speaking with her sister through the phone that is being held up to her ear, in her, you know, up to the ear of her body, and she is able to communicate with her. It's really bizarre, really bizarre. And yet, I still think it's fair to say that the moment of death is the moment where the body, the spirit leaves the body. Once the body the spirit is out of the body, that the body is dead, but it could be that the body's not dead, that the spirit is just separated, and that whatever happens to the body while the spirit is separated is not going to affect the spirit at all. So, a lot of the uh, fears that we have about did he suffer, did he, you know, at the point of death, most likely. They did. They didn't suffer most of the time, you know. Even if they're sitting there screaming and, and and things like that, it doesn't mean necessarily that their body or that their spirit is still in their body experiencing what they're seeming to experience. Now that's bizarre. That's out there. I know, but but this seems to be a thing, and uh, it illustrates the idea that. The body does seem to be a separate living thing, just not a living thing that is entirely separated from the body. Is it possible that while the person is separated from their body, that part of their spirit is still channeling through their body to um, keep alive? You know, people talk about a string or a rope or something. I don't know if that's a metaphorical thing or if there's some kind of spiritual link that is maintaining the life of the body by virtue of the spirit, without the spirit having to be experiencing what the body is experiencing. I don't know. It's very interesting, though. And, and I, I thought that was worth bringing up. And then, um, James finds himself in this white room full of big red books. And these books seem to, rather than read like words, seem to have some kind of television screen. And again, there is this mention of, he says, he doesn't say it's like a television screen. He says, it showed me television pictures of my life. Now, I don't know exactly when this took place. It it, it Oh, here we go. It shows on the date. 1997. I mean, 97 is way beyond the point where they were calling it video pictures and and video images and so forth, which makes me think that there is some kind of uh, picture-flipping aspect to this video that's going on. I mean, are we talking about a, a, a very fast slideshow, or are we talking about a video, uh, you know, or are we talking about, uh, you know, genuinely seeing you know, the the life in the form of what looks like a TV or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. It's just interesting. Um, but he sees his whole life from birth to present day, much of which he had forgotten. So he's reminded of a lot of things that he long forgotten. And this person that is with him, who he never seems to identify, um, but this person with him looks at him, He's looking at him with so much love that he feels like he wanted to cry. So there's so much love and acceptance and kindness about this being. And then he is told that we are all interconnected. We are all as one, part of one great big plan. We are all linked spiritually. And if he had just heard that alone, he probably would have been like, oh, that's cool but his reaction is, wow, which makes me think that not only is he hearing this, not only is it being communicated to him on an intellectual or you know communicative way, but he is also sensing that in some deeper, bigger way. And, and this one great plan seems to make sense to him at this time. And then as he is being told that it's about time for him to go, he is given something that would be both an evidence that this was real and also a sign that the girl that he meets is the one he is to be with, that he's to marry. And he's told that you've got to wait a little while. You've got to go back and then to wait a little, or or let's see, wait for little pebbles. And and he's probably, pebbles, what? you know, go wait for little pebbles. <laughs> I mean, and probably lest, uh, he assume this means little rocks or something. He says, uh, that he had given her to me before we walked this earth. And so I'm assuming this is maybe God or Jesus Christ or something like that. Um, uh, as that seems like the role of somebody who would give somebody to somebody, you know, in that manner, the perfect matchmaker, if you will. And uh, he he says that uh, we were placed on this earth on the same day, okay, and that she was my soulmate and would be along soon. And then after he meets this girl, just three days after starting at the university, um, she mentions that her mother always called her Pebbles, and still to this day calls her Pebbles, which is both a confirmation him, this is the one, and, and this is interesting too, a further confirmation of the incident and that she's the right one, is that she, the girl, Pebbles, had been told by her mother that God had given her that nickname so the right person would identify her. And of course he feels so lucky and blessed. And this is therefore another anecdotal evidence of the uh, truth of, of these kinds of experiences. Uh, I mean, how could somebody have ex- have found out this name of this person um, that they would meet and be with and and all this, how, how could they do that without uh, it actually having been given to them? Now, we talk about evidences, and I, I don't like to point too strongly to evidences, especially not in argument with people who maybe don't believe in this stuff. Well, this happened, and check this out, and, and stuff, simply because that doesn't seem to be the intent of it. it. It's often these evidences are given for as evidence to the individual. So it's like, so you know this is from me. And yet, you know... I mean, we look at it and we say, "Well, yeah, but I I could have made up a, a similar story and say I've been told this and that this happened, and then therefore it was proof." And so it's not confirmation in the sense of provable, but it is confirmation or evidential to the individual who experiences it, and that seems to be like consistent throughout the the evidences they're giving uh, given of the fact that these things happen you know for example even alexander has this girl that's following him around everywhere kind of as a guide and as you know a companion on his experience throughout his experience he comes back and he's just like you know she's just this young angel i guess you know and and it's not till years later that he sees a picture of his biological sister who had died as a young girl. I mean, he'd been adopted, and so he didn't even know he had a biological sister until those years later. And when he sees a picture of her, he says, That's the girl. I mean, spot on, that's the girl. And so, you know, for him, that was a if there was any doubt at that point, I'm sure it was wiped away because, you know, your brain can't come up with that stuff on its own. You know, and as you talk about the evidences, of near death experiences you have to look at the other side of it if you're going to disprove this idea of near death experiences if you're going to suggest this is all just a you know what the brain does as it's dying and and it gets creative and makes these incredible you know scenarios to experience as a way of coping with the fact that that the body is dying or whatever you want to do You've got to account for the fact that people are finding out things that they could not have known based on what we know about the brain. Now, the it, it's true that you could argue that we are just deeply psychic in our brains and that we can just know the future. We can know things um, outside of ourselves, such as this guy knowing about this girl, um, or that he would meet this girl, maybe some kind of precognitive ability. Or you could argue, for example, that um, even Alexander had this psychic connection to his younger sister or this, I don't remember if she was younger or older at the time, but um, this, this little girl who turned out to be his biological sister. You could argue that we have this, this um, psychological connection to people, psychic connection to people, and therefore have this paranormal ability just built into us that that's our our natural ability and at the point of death it's often awakened in some way something like that you could argue that But once you start getting into that level of argument, that level of psychic abilities and and precognition and so forth, you're getting to the point where you're already in the metaphysical section of the library, okay? You're already in this section where life after death um, arguments um, start making about as much sense as the psychic ability uh, does. You know, you're... You're out there far enough that if you're going to go that far, you might as well just, you know, go so far as to say maybe that there is life beyond. And even, uh, I mean, because think about this, all these anecdotal evidences that are given are things that point to the fact that there is more going on than what we can see. A great deal more than what we can see. And so you could make that argument, it's true. And I acknowledge that. But you've also got to acknowledge from that that you're stepping out so far onto a limb that uh, that you're just about over the edge of believing in, your, in, in life after death anyway. So, you know, something to think about. Anyway, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing the book Life in the Spirit World, or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. Again, we're getting very close to $50. Uh, so if we get to $50, we'll be putting out an extra episode per week for Patreon contributors. You can also contact the podcast either by sharing uh, or to share a comment, to ask a question, or to share your own near-death experience by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970 NDE CAST. And once again, thank you all of you so much for listening.